the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Upon entering the home of Cornelius, Cornelius was there to immediately meet Peter. But what happened next must have absolutely shocked the apostle. Instead of asserting his authority as a Roman military officer over Peter, a Jewish peasant fisherman and member of a subjugated nation detested by Rome, Cornelius instead, he falls at Peter's feet and treats him with worshipful reverence. But Peter immediately rejects such adulation. And immediately he tells Cornelius to get up, stand up, because I'm just like you, I'm just a man. Now, if there ever was a verse in Scripture that discouraged the worship of saints, this is it. And yet, the Roman Catholic Church continues to teach the worship and veneration of saints, especially the Virgin Mary. Listen, all that's just blasphemous idolatry. That's what it is, because worship, it's to be reserved only for God himself. interesting situation unfolding in the home of Cornelius. You are listening to Verse by Verse, and in just a minute or so, we will be listening to our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. But picture this. Cornelius has been told by an angel to send for Peter, who previous to this would never have come into the home of a Gentile. However, we are going to see today that God was not done surprising Peter. Cornelius was not the only person who was going to hear this gospel presentation. Peter is going to have an audience of Gentiles. I wonder what Peter's face looked like when he walked into this situation. Perhaps if we remember, we can ask him someday. (laughs) Right now, though, we're going to turn to Pastor Steve for today's verse-by-verse broadcast. Cornelius was so concerned for the spiritual welfare of his family and friends that he invited them to his home to be his guests so that they too could learn how to be right with God. Although at this point he's not even a Christian, not even a believer. He knew that the soon-to-be message coming from Peter would be the most important words he would ever hear and that it would determine his eternal destiny. And he wanted all those who he loved to share the same eternal destiny with him. And so he invited all of his family and relatives who lived in Caesarea, maybe his mom and dad, maybe his grandparents, certainly his wife and children, and his close friends who were no doubt his military Colleagues, he invited them to join him for this home Bible study led by Peter. Listen, I read that and I think, oh, 
All that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, would have the same concern for the salvation of our relatives and friends as this unsaved Cornelius did. And now with this large party of people eagerly awaiting Peter's arrival, Luke tells us in verse 25 and following what happened when Peter finally meets Cornelius for the first time. Verses 25 through 27. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Upon entering the home of Cornelius, Cornelius was there to immediately meet Peter. But what happened next must have absolutely shocked the apostle. Instead of asserting his authority as a Roman military officer over Peter, a Jewish peasant fisherman and member of a subjugated nation detested by Rome, Cornelius instead, he falls at Peter's feet and treats him with worshipful reverence. But Peter immediately rejects such adulation. And immediately he tells Cornelius to get up, stand up, because I'm just like you, I'm just a man. Now, if there ever was a verse in Scripture that discouraged the worship of saints, this is it. And yet, the Roman Catholic Church continues to teach the worship and veneration of saints, especially the Virgin Mary. Listen, all that's just blasphemous idolatry. That's what it is, because worship, it's to be reserved only for God himself. In fact, whenever we read in Scripture of men of God being worshipped, they reject it. And in the case of the Apostle Paul, they were horrified. He was horrified by it. In Acts chapter 14, we read about the time that some pagans began to worship Paul and Barnabas after God used Paul to heal a lame man. I want you to notice the reaction of these men of God. Verses 11 through 15 of Acts 14, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you, and we preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. That was Paul's reaction, just horrified. Why are you doing this? But listen, it's not only men who reject being worshipped. Scripture also reveals that even angels reject the worship of men because they know that worship is reserved only for God himself, no one else. We read in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, even the apostle John makes a mistake in what he did. But we read this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Now, in light of all these individuals we see in Scripture rejecting the worship of others, it is highly, highly significant that when we read of people in the gospel accounts worshiping Jesus Christ, 
He does not reject their worship. He accepts it. In John chapter 9, verse 38, we read that the man who was born blind, who Jesus healed, he worshiped him, and Jesus didn't say stop. He received it. It was appropriate. It was right. In Matthew 28, verse 17, just before giving the Great Commission, the Lord's disciples, we read, worshiped him, and Jesus accepted it. And why did Jesus accept such worship when others refused it? For the simple reason that he's God. He's God. And God only is to be worshipped. Now returning to the meeting of Cornelius and Peter, after telling Cornelius to just stand up and stop worshipping me, we read that Peter and Cornelius talked for a little while, and then Cornelius invited Peter to enter a room with him, where, to his surprise, he found many people waiting to hear what he had to say. All the relatives and all the close friends of Cornelius, they're there, they're seated, they're waiting. Now, this may have come as a surprise to Peter to have so many people assembled there. But in the providence of God, this was a very significant thing. Why? Because had Cornelius been the only one that day to believe on Jesus, the church at Jerusalem may have looked upon him as just an isolated incident of a Gentile convert, much like the Ethiopian eunuch. But the fact that many Gentiles, this whole household, not just one accepted Christ. That was a very clear message, not only to Peter, but it would be to the Jerusalem church that God was welcoming Gentiles as a people into his church on the same footing with Jews without any spiritual distinctions. Now, upon looking at this group of Gentiles, Peter begins to speak to them. And listen, if he had any lingering doubts as to why God had given him a vision of all kinds of animals to eat, those doubts would have to have been completely gone by now because what he tells these Gentiles reveals that he gets it. He's now fully comprehending the significance of the vision that God has given him. He now completely understands what God has been telling him. Notice what he says to this crowd of Gentiles who are before him. Verses 28 and 29. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. This is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason you've sent for me? Now, Peter begins by telling them something that he acknowledges that they all understand, that they all know. They're all aware of this, that according to Jewish custom, it was forbidden for Jewish people like him to socialize with Gentiles. Now, it's important that you understand that Peter is not saying that this was against the law of God. It was not against the Mosaic law for him to associate with Gentiles. The law never says that. But rather, what he's saying is it was against Jewish customs. It was against Jewish oral law traditions. Let me say again, there is no biblical law that forbid a Jewish person from having any social contact with a Gentile. However, it was Jewish custom that Jews were not to socialize with Gentiles for fear that they might be ritually defiled by them because Gentiles were considered unclean. Let me illustrate this to you in an amazing illustration from Scripture. I remind you of the fact that when the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin brought Jesus 
after they had arrested him, they brought Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to the headquarters of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. These men actually refused to go inside his residence, and they forced Pilate to come out to them. Why? Because they feared that by going inside, they would become defiled by such close contact with unclean Gentiles. The absurdity of this should not be missed by any of us. They are about to murder the Son of God, but they care about being ritually defiled. That's the absurdity and the blindness of unsaved people, especially those who are religious. But here's what we read in John 18, 28 and 29. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not go into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They're more concerned about the Passover meal than they are about the true Passover, who they're turning over to Pilate, that is Jesus himself. Now Peter, going back to Acts, is saying that this fear of being defiled by coming into the home of a Gentile is something that all these people seated before him, all of them understand that. In other words, as Gentiles, they understood how Jews avoided all social contacts with them. However, he says that God has shown him that this custom is just wrong. Because God has shown him that he should not call any man unholy or unclean. And what he's referring to, of course, is the vision of all of those animals, both kosher and non-kosher animals being clean before God. In other words, he now knows that God doesn't want him to make any distinctions anymore between Jews and Gentiles. He doesn't want him to consider Gentiles as unclean. Therefore, he's no longer to be concerned about being defiled by them. That's why he proceeds to state that when he was asked to come to Caesarea to speak to Cornelius, he raised no objection. Therefore, he is now free before God to stand before them. But what he'd like to know from Cornelius, he has a question though. Why have you sent for me? In other words, for what reason have you asked me to come all this way from Joppa? And Cornelius responds by telling him the story of the vision that God gave him, verses 30 through 33. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. That's the angel. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who's also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then... We're all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And we don't really need to review these verses. They're basically a repeat of what we studied last week. But there are a couple of important truths that I want to point out to you from Cornelius' final statement in verse 33, his final statement to Peter. Now then, we're all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. First of all, it's hard to imagine that Peter had to ask Cornelius why he sent for him. Hard to imagine. Didn't you remember that Jesus had commanded him and the other apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth? Didn't you remember that? Well, apparently he didn't. Apparently it wasn't clear to Peter. Otherwise, he would have never asked this question. 
Why have you called for me? You've got Gentiles sitting in front of you saying, we're here to listen to you. Why have you sent for me? But you know what? The more I thought about this, the more I thought the same thing could be said of me, the same thing could be said of us. We know that Jesus has commanded us to witness, and yet there are many times that we are silent when we should proclaim the gospel to someone, or at least, if not being able to proclaim the whole gospel, at least give some kind of a witness for Christ, but we don't. And while it's easy for us to see that God had opened the door for Peter to witness, how obvious does God have to make it to Peter? When a whole group of unsaved people are sitting in front of you, eager to listen to you, how obvious is that? But how many times has the Lord opened a door to us to speak to somebody about Christ, and we don't go through that open door? So it's important for us to keep reminding ourselves that we have been left on earth to be witnesses for Christ. We are to be on the lookout for open doors. As Paul puts it in Ephesians, we are to redeem the time, for the days are evil. Otherwise, it's just easy to lose sight of God's will. That's what Peter did. He lost sight of it. So why have you sent for me? It's silly, but we do the same silly thing. Second truth I want you to see from these verses is that although Cornelius was religious, he was upright in character, he still wasn't saved. We touched on this last week, but I want to reiterate this. He still wasn't saved. He knew that his religion couldn't save him. That's why he's so eager to hear what Peter had to say to him because he knew that his religion was not enough to make him right with God. He was a religious man. He had turned his back on Roman gods and Roman mythology. He had embraced monotheism, the one true God, the God of Israel. He had embraced Judaism, but he knew he wasn't right with God. And folks, there are many people today just like Cornelius. You might be one of them. They're devoted to their religion but they're lost because they think that their own efforts, their own good character can save them. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, was like this. And in many ways, he was very similar to Cornelius. Wesley was a very religious man, very disciplined man, very strict in his discipline. That's where the name comes from, the Methodist Church, and very methodical, very disciplined. He was a member of a church. He was upright in his character. He was even a minister John Wesley, I don't know if you know this, he actually came from England all the way to America, to Georgia, to serve as a foreign missionary, but he was lost himself. But he had that kind of religious zeal. Wesley, though, didn't remain lost because the Lord showed him his need for salvation and he was saved. Here's the way one Bible teacher explained what happened to John Wesley. He writes, on May 24th, 1738, Wesley reluctantly attended a small meeting in London where someone was reading aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. About a quarter before nine, Wesley wrote in his journal, while he was describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart, he wrote, strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I ask you, has this been your experience? It's one thing to study about salvation coming to the Gentiles, but has it come to you? Has it come to you? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? As the only way to be saved, there is no other name 
given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Religion won't do it. Your upright character won't do it. Just as Wesley came to the point of realizing that his religion, his zeal, his discipline, his strictness could not make him right with God, so you need to see it as well. All of our good deeds, the Bible says, like filthy rags, even theoretically, even if you could be perfect from this point on, what about all the sins on your record? You can't be perfect from this point on, but for the sake of making a point, even if you could, what about all your sins on your record? Your anger, your jealousy, your lust, your pride, your coveting, your disobedience to your parents, your poor attitude, all of those things, your envy, all of that, the lies, the horrible thoughts in your heart, What are you going to do with all that? What are you going to do with all that? You're guilty before a holy God. There is only one solution. Turn away from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ and trust that his death on the cross in payment for your sin was his death. Believe that. And the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll be right with God. Place your confidence in Christ and his death as payment for sin and be right with God. Be forgiven of your sin. Have his righteousness applied to your account. That's the only way to be saved. Now, if you're already a believer in Christ, then ask the Lord. Consciously ask the Lord in your prayers to show you any prejudices in your thinking. Anything that's wrong, that you look at certain people and you have the wrong attitudes towards them. Ask him to show you that. And ask him to show you any faulty thinking that you need to change. And you are never too old to change I remember talking to an older man many years ago, a man who had actually been in the ministry for many years, and we were discussing a certain view of prophecy. And he said to me, you know what? I'm old, and I've believed a certain way all of my life. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not even going to contemplate. I'm too old to change, he said. And I thought, how sad. I happen to not agree with that point of theology, but I've never forgotten his attitude. I'm too old to change. No one should ever be too old to change if Scripture corrects your thinking. I don't care who you are. I don't care how esteemed you are in the eyes of others. I don't care if you've been a pastor. You're never too old to change if Scripture says one thing and your thinking is another. So ask the Lord to show you any prejudices that have to change, any thinking that has to change, and then just do it. If Jesus is your Lord then you need to respond in obedience to his word, regardless of the cost. Be teachable. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for what we have been able to study. We thank you that this passage opens up to us, Lord, so many things. We thank you for Peter, his willingness to change. We thank you for working in his heart, and we have that same assurance you work in our hearts to help us to see our own sin and to have the courage and boldness and obedience to change. Lord, as your people, help us to be willing to change our thinking. Help us to be willing to face our sin, no matter what age we are. We're never too old to change, never too old to obey you. May the scripture be our authority and not our upbringing and not our traditions. And Lord, I pray for any here who may be just like Cornelius, just like John Wesley was, religious, devout, even dedicated to their religion, but lost. Lost because there is no sacrifice for their sin. 
They're trying to make it to glory on their own efforts. Lord, I pray that you'll turn them from the foolishness of that. Turn them to Christ. Help them to see you, Lord, as the one and the only one who paid the ransom, who died on the cross on behalf of sinners. And may, like Wesley, they have that assurance that they are trusting Christ. Christ has taken away their sin. So, Lord, we ask you to do that. We ask you to send us out now, Lord. Help us to remember to be witnesses, to redeem the time, to look for open doors, to never be as Peter was, something as obvious as a room full of people waiting to hear from us, and we wonder why. Why? Help us, Lord, to go through those open doors and witness for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think many in this audience would be familiar with the Great Commission. Before returning to heaven, Jesus told his followers to share the good news in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. As we read the book of Acts, the early church didn't immediately head for the rest of the world. The death of Stephen was the first incident that caused the church to spread out past Jerusalem. And now God directly intervened in Peter's life to send him to Cornelius, a Gentile, with the express purpose of sharing the gospel. Peter had a full house of people waiting to hear how they could be made right with God. What a great series this is shaping up to be. Please join us for the next verse by verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues to teach us from Acts chapter 10. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.